went back out in November of uh, 2021. That was cool, but then we didn't really tour for a while after that. Uh, it's nice to have a new album and a reason to, to tour again. Was that the longest that you had been off the road? Probably. I think, yeah, maybe there was some, uh, it was a short, maybe nine month break or something around, uh, volume one, volume two. But I think, uh, yeah, the pandemic definitely screwed up our normal routine as, uh, did, uh, with everyone else. I guess I would say calling a global pandemic a, a mixed blessing is probably um, probably <laughs> overly positive. And it was a funny thing of I, you know, I started doing this virtually during it, and and I would ask people, especially like musicians, fairly early on about you know how it uh, how how did it impact their lives, and you know like effectively how they're doing. And a lot of people would just in hushed tones tell me that like, oh yeah, it's actually. It was actually really nice because it forced me to, you know, like not be on the road for a while and and be with my family. Obviously, like nobody wants to say the pandemic was good for them necessarily, but like there were there were some positives. Sure. I mean, I think I think it really helped uh, our band in a sense that if the pandemic hadn't happened, we would have put this record out years ago and it would have been it would have been a little different. I don't necessarily know if it would have been different in a good way. You know, you know, it gave us plenty of time to live with these songs and this idea for an album that we had. So, but, uh, playing live is what I really love to do though. So the, the pandemic was not, was not really fruitful for me creatively and, uh, was pretty, uh, depressing to be honest <laughs> i just wanted to go play why wasn't it fruitful it's that thing of like obviously all of a sudden you have a ton of time that you didn't have previously yeah i mean i guess i i learned a couple things i guess i learned how to use pro tools and stuff so that's cool but uh yeah i mean it wasn't all wasted time you know i did uh i did uh I still had plenty to do, but I just wasn't really writing, you know. It wasn't inspirational to me at all. Do you primarily do your writing on the road? It, lately, lately it seems like I, I, I'm i most creative when me and the other dudes are, are jamming and stuff. Um, that kind of gets me going. So, you know, in the pandemic, we're all living in different states and stuff, and uh, I hated all that virtual stuff, so I wasn't always game to do that after I did a few. Uh, I don't know, just, I, I was quite literally isolated. I, I moved to a rural town in upstate New York, and, uh, you know, I wasn't playing with any other musicians, and, uh, yeah, I was just, I'm glad to put that behind me. But the whole world could put that behind us. <laughs> I feel like I missed a step. Now, granted, it's been like several years um, since your last like big publicity tour, but you had moved from Nashville to Rhode Island, and now you're in upstate? No, I lived in upstate for 
a year in between. Was that a pandemic move? Yes, that was a calculated decision. Uh, to, uh, we wanted our daughter to do that during kindergarten that year. And we wanted her to be able to attend school in person. Um, she wasn't going to be able to do that in Nashville. We had spent the summer in New England and kind of by the end of the summer we were like we're not going back are we made some really quick <laughs> really big big decisions all one after the other alright let's sell the house we gotta buy a house in Rhode Island or Massachusetts we can't find one now where are we gonna live where's she gonna go to school <laughs> we figured it all out in about a week and uh before you know it, we're I'm down in Nashville, staging the house for uh, for walkthroughs and shit, and uh, that was that. I live in Queens, so I was riding out the pandemic in this one bedroom apartment, and it's like like nightmare scenario to be in Queens in you know 2020. But um, it seems like upstate New York is a pretty, if you had to choose, a pretty good place to ride out a pandemic. Yeah, I mean it's beautiful and we were able to do a lot of stuff outdoors and uh we met a lot, a lot of nice people up there um you know i i really i did love the routine in the winter of getting up early and you know starting a fire in the uh in the stove and all that um it was nice simple just on the face of it a big change from nashville a very vibrant music town. I suppose a place with a lot of live music that doesn't really mean a whole hell of a lot when there's a pandemic happening. Yeah. Uh, Nashville was, um, I don't really know. I, I mean, I only spent like the first two months of, uh, of, you know, lockdown there. And, uh, and then we decided to head up to New England to spend the summer. Um, so we could, you know, go to the beach and escape the, the, uh, Southern heat. Um, but yeah, I, honestly, I, I kind of stopped really going out and doing shit in Nashville anyway. <laughs> I was really already maybe on my way to isolating myself in one way or another. I kind of, um, I felt like I, I put in my time there and I, I was really, uh, shocked and happy when my wife suggested that we move to, uh, New England. <laughs> what brought you to Nashville in the first place? Uh, partying. <laughs> uh, <I w> <laughs> there are a lot of places that, that one can party. There, there must've been something about Nashville specifically. No, I, I met a few, uh, a few great people there. Uh, Adam Landry, is, uh, he's a producer, guitarist. Um, he had a studio down there. And that was kind of my... That was the moment when I was like, wait, this is cool. Maybe I should move here. Uh, like, everybody has a studio in their backyard. <laughs> it was fun. I don't know. I was young. I was... Nashville was... A little smaller, a little bit weirder of a place at the time. And, uh, yeah, I kind of moved there before it 
went completely off the rails uh, with bachelorette parties and uh, bicycle bars and all that stuff. And there, there was no uh, Kid Rock's big-ass honky-tonk. Did you ever expect to be back in Rhode Island? Yeah, but I was thinking, like, maybe when my kid's off to college or something, then, uh, then, we'd, then we'd move, you know. Um, but I, I think making a big move like that, like while she was so young, I think she can, uh, she'll forgive us for it. I think if she had started in elementary school there and then we pulled her out and, you know, after she already made some good friends and all that, she, I think she would have held that against us for a while. So it was kind of like leave now or leave in, uh, 15 years is it family i mean why did you why did you expect to gravitate back there at some point well i mean i i I enjoy the summer in new england a lot more than the summer in nashville and uh i guess kind of you know i wasn't doing anything else so i i kind of i really got to savor it i mean i wonder if you have the same thing that i do which like I, i i travel around it a fair bit for work, like not not as much as a, t- a touring musician, but I've I've always had that thing. I mean, I've been in New York for like close to twenty years at this point, but I've always had that thing where, like, every time I get to a new city, I picture myself there and imagine if that's somewhere that I could or would would want to end up. Yeah, it's, in- it's interesting that you, that you went back, you know, specifically to because you're 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 like outside of Providence now. Is that right? Yeah, I grew up in Providence and. Uh, now, yeah, I know I live just outside, but um, yeah, family was a, a big thing too. I mean, when you uh, when the shit hits the fan, you know, it's it's good to <laughs> have some sort of support system nearby. Uh, you know, in Nashville, neither of us had any family down there. We were a very uh, closed uh, unit. Um, yeah, it just seemed to make sense. You and your wife are also both professional musicians, so I don't know if there are too many instances when you're like on the road or not around at the same time. But like, that's the beauty of having family nearby. Is like, if it comes yeah. to that, you can have somebody watch a kid for a bit. Yeah, typically we don't, um, we, or we try not to do that. But yeah, there are always once in a while a scheduling conflict, and now it's a lot easier to. Um, you know, let's get someone to watch our daughter for a few days, you know. You said you had taught yourself Pro Tools. I mean, it sounds like you were at least thinking of doing some home recording. Well, we were, what were we doing? We were sending, like, demos back and forth. A lot of friends of mine asked me to, like, can you play, can you play accordion on this song or whatever? And, you know, even though I hated doing all those videos and stuff, we really couldn't get away with not doing them so we started <laughs> so i had to i had to record my parts and make them sound somewhat good and i had start i had just started to work with pro tools like right before the pandemic like i kind of just knew the basics in like that february march and then by the time everybody's recording these virtual concerts and stuff. I, I, I was a bit, uh, 
I, I got quite a bit better at <laughs> it. Uh, but now I haven't done it in a while. And now we just set up our new studio in Providence. And, uh, you know, every if I'm trying to do anything on Pro Tools now, I, I, I was like, hey, Dennis, what do I got to hit? to? <laughs> how do I do this again? I don't remember. So I guess, like anything else, you got to use it or lose it. Yeah, I mean, it's presumably like riding a bike. I'm sure, like, once you actually, like, get back in and start recording in earnest, then you'll pick it up. I mean, if it's like a bike, then it's like when you pick the bike back up, it's like missing a wheel, and you're like, how do I how do I put the wheel back on? We all need to figure out how to reattach a wheel at some yeah. point in our life. It is part of riding a bike. This chain is broken. Damn it. In this era of, like, everybody obviously like getting into home recording out of necessity that you you end up recording this record and and you re- you do it at somebody else's studio and you do it with this like big famous producer and you kind of i don't know it's it seems like you allowed yourself to give up more control than perhaps you have on previous records i think we used to be a bit more involved with like uh trying to also produce what was going on, you know, and I don't know. I just wanted one cook in the kitchen this time, you know, and, uh, you know, if, as we're talking about producers, well, Dave Fridman is a world-class chef. That makes no sense. One chef implies that you just sort of took your, selves out of that equation entirely. Yeah, just like, okay, I, I play guitar and sing. That's all I'm going to do in this recording session. You know, you tell me how how it should go, Dave. I guess you'd feel like a real asshole trying to tell Dave Fridman or, or arguing with him about how something should sound. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to go down that road. I was reading up on it a little bit. I, I, I didn't realize until, until looking at today. So he had he produced your wife's last record. So you had actually like worked with him relatively recently. Yeah. I liked the vibe. I liked his, his kind of really laid back approach to it. I think, um, he's got like every piece of musical equipment ever invented under the sun, you know, under one roof. Um, it's just a overall really nice guy easy to hang out with, uh, great facilities, uh, just, you know, nice place to, uh, uh, creative environment. What is his process like? I mean, I know, you know, obviously, as you said, you had more time to kind of, to work on these songs. I think you came to him with like 20 songs all told. What is, what is his process? Uh, well, with us, he was like, do you want to? Do you want to try to figure out what the songs for the record are, or are we going to try to record everything? And they're like, "Well, let's let's start with a couple that we are like ninety percent sure are going to go on the record, and let's just see how how fast we can get through them." You know, so the first day we set up our gear and he set up a PA system in the library and he just sat there. He just set up a table and a chair and he just took notes and he had us play all 20 songs 
and then he had his ideas of what we should do with them when we record them. And, uh, day two, we, we picked an easy one that we, we thought we could, uh, we could nail in one or two takes and that's what happened. And then we moved on and I don't know, by the end of two weeks, we had recorded 20 songs. Did all of the ones that you were 90% sure about end up making it onto the record? No, because we ended up making the record a little shorter than uh, than we had planned. We thought maybe it would be 12 songs, but uh, but then we couldn't fit it all on one LP. And that was important to us because we kind of wanted... We wanted this record to be a, a very tight package, I guess. You know, like, I didn't... And I wanted, you know, for audio files, you know, I wanted the the quality of the record to be the best it could. So I didn't want to exceed the recommended time on each side of the record and all this stuff. I thought if we made it a really kind of punchy, powerful listen uh, that, you know, was over in 40 minutes, then... I felt that was the right way to go instead of getting into like side C and side D and and I don't know. We found a sequence that we thought worked with 10 songs and it it uh it met all the criteria that we were going for and yeah, that was that was the hardest part of the of making this record was sequencing it and figuring out what to cut and what what to keep and uh yeah, a lot of long discussions about it. If something doesn't make the cut, is that it for that song, or is there an expectation that you might revisit it at some point? Um, I think there are a lot of songs in the Deer Chick graveyard like that. Uh, <laughs> that Maybe they come out as a B-side or on an EP or something, and but then we never think about them again, we never play them live, etc. But... Um, we're all pretty fond of uh, the unused material from this record, so I would like to maybe do an EP or something and actually play the songs live. And uh, there are a couple, there are a couple of the songs that didn't quite get to the uh, the finish line that I would like to revisit and finish writing the lyrics for and stuff. And, um, maybe try recording one or two of them over again. That seems like maybe one of the takeaways in all of this is you, you know, again, because of the pandemic, you were, you were like forced to sit on songs. You were forced to wait. You had some distance from them and then, yeah. you, you know, revisit them at a certain point. And there, and it sounds like you really kind of came away with the, the understanding that there's a, there's a lot of value. There's a lot of mm-hmm. value in sort of like stepping away and reexamining something. Absolutely. I think uh, the way we used to do things was kind of like, okay, we got like 11 songs written. Let's just go to the studio and record them, and that's an album. Uh, There wasn't really any additional thought (laughs) put into it, except for volume one, volume two. That was maybe the first time Deer Tick 
took a more deliberate approach to what exactly we were going to do when we got into the studio, other than like, well, we have enough to, to fit on an album. You alluded to this a little bit earlier, that it would be a dramatically different record if you had been given the opportunity to record it soon after the last year I heard. Because it's been, God, what, uh, like, I guess six years since the last album came out, which is a pretty yeah. considerable amount of time, like, especially for, for a band like 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 yours what's your sense of how the record would have been different i think the songs that uh there are songs that hadn't been written yet that are on the record now um so there would there would be a few omissions uh notably if i try to leave and forgiving ties would not be on there and those are like the first two songs on the record (laughs) I don't know. There, it just it would have been different, and I don't know that it would have been as good. I think it was just letting the ones that were written kind of slowly evolve a little bit more, just wait it out, and um, see if any new songs came to us in the meantime. Uh, was uh, I, I think it helped the record. In the uh, in the grand scheme of things, maybe a better way to kind of to approach the question is, from my end, is do you feel like a dramatically different person than the you of six years ago? Not really, no. <laughs> but you know, I'm sure I am a much different person. But uh, you know, it's slow changes over time, so. Uh, I think maybe this was where we were going to end up anyway, and it just kind of accelerated that, you know. So now I'm already scheming about, like, the next two records and what they're going to be like. And uh, Now now that we know we can, we can wait so long between records... <laughs> Uh, maybe I, I won't freak out about getting into the studio as soon as we have ten songs written. You know. Yeah, but man, like two records. So, like you know, theoretically, that could be like twelve years from now. If you're thinking two records ahead at this point, then it sounds like you're you're going to want to release them a lot faster than a six period gap between them. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm just I'm just fooling around, but uh, but yeah. But I could be a little bit more patient about it, I guess. Are you serious, though, about actually thinking, like, about the next two? Is it is it hard for you to just kind of focus on one at a time? No, I mean, I mean, we're out here, you know, working this record as hard as we can. Um, so this is just when I already know we have a bunch of songs sitting around and I just get excited about the record making process and uh, it's so fun to tour when you have something new um, that really I'm just, I, I want to keep the momentum going. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting that forgiving ties was one of the more recent additions because I mean, you know, it's, it, it's a pop song. It's like a, it's very much like a straightforward rock song. And I feel like you kind of make a statement when that's, when that's the lead single. Yeah. I think, it's because it sounds new 
for us, but it still sounds like us. It doesn't sound like we're reaching for something or trying to claw our way into uh, some space that we don't belong or whatever. It's just, uh, it's just a slow evolution and it's something new that we wanted to add to our sound, I guess. And so I think it is kind of a bold, probably the boldest <laughs> lead single we could have picked for the record for that reason. Uh, but I don't know, it's doing well at radio. So that's, you know, I think we made the right call. <laughs> Knowing what I know about you and like having followed the band for a long time, it didn't seem like maybe you were, you were focused on radio in, in that way. No, 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 absolutely not. We, uh, <laughs> I mean, radio to us means like, going into some sterile studio environment at 10 in the morning, hung over on tour, and like trying to get out of there as fast as fucking possible. Being asked the same question in every city. and Yeah. Uh, but now that we actually do have a, a single that's... <laughs> now that you've tasted some success? Uh, radio is pretty cool. You know, obviously I heard that song before I heard the record, and I was like, oh, this is, is this a different lead singer? Like, is this... Is, is that, you know, in, in in a way, like you are you are kind of giving up control a little bit. Is, is that something that you you would have done, you know, 10, 15 years ago? I mean, well, Dirtix had uh, multiple lead singers since um, since Divide Providence. Uh, and even before that there was a EP that came out after Black Dirt Sessions that had our old guitarist uh, Andrew Tobiason singing lead on it um, so that's I assembled the band with that in mind I never wanted to be like the only lead singer uh but that's just kind of how it worked in the beginning because we were still trying to figure out uh, what this band was. I think a lot of people um, kind of thought it was like a solo project for me. It kind of was for a little while, right? I think only because it, it was forced... Uh, to be that way you know I was always looking to put together a band like we have now and I mean like and it's it's been this lineup for most of <laughs> of Dear Tick's uh, time together uh, I mean Ian's the new guy and he's been in the band for 14 years I, I think I just saw so, I think he just did a cameo for a second there yeah <laughs> yeah that he's a new guy yeah, he's a new guy. But, you know, we, we I think we led off uh, negativity with one of his songs, too, which uh, Dreams in the Ditch. So, um, I don't know, it's just, that's just how it works. No one's, no writer or singer in this band is more entitled than 
than the other to, uh, you know, get the, <laughs> get the spotlight put on them. Forgiving Ties, too, is just kind of inevitable when you hear a song like that. You're like, yeah, this is... This is a single. Yeah, it was it was like the first song that Dave mixed for the record too, so I I think it just added to the excitement. It was like, Oh my god, look listen to what he did with the song. It was it's exciting. And there's a really beautiful quote, it feels weird saying there's a beautiful quote in the press release, but like there is where you're talking about being deliberate. He said, I feel lucky that we ran into each other like at a point pretty early on in our lives. And, and the, like the thing about that is, I don't know if that's necessarily a thing people think about when they're putting bands together. You approached it like a relationship. You approached it in terms of like getting a group of dudes together who like you clearly want to spend a lot of time with. Yeah. Um, Cause I know a lot of bands and I know that a lot of bands fucking hate each other. Like, it's like, I don't know, you wouldn't stay in a, in any other relationship with somebody that you hate. So, but people do it in bands all the time. It makes no sense to me. People do it in jobs too. Like a lot of people hate their coworkers. That's not an uncommon thing. Yeah, it's true. A really good way to test your friendship with somebody is to like jam yourself into a van with them and tour around the country. Oh yeah, you're so like tuned into like everybody's like bowel movements and everything. <laughs> it's like you really can't escape one another. You must have missed that aspect of it too when you were off the road for so long. Are you guys still in fairly constant communication even when there's not a album or a tour on the horizon? Oh yeah, like Ian and I are like neighbors now, so I mean we're we're doing shit together all the time. Um, I don't know. Yeah, Ian just uh, Ian just got a house with a pool, so I uh, I think we're gonna be there all the time when we're <laughs> not on tour this summer, right, Ian? Yep. Congratulations <laughs> on the pool. Congratulations on your pool. Thank you. It's a lot of work. <laughs> How much of the band is actually still in Rhode Island at this point? Uh, everybody is, uh, once again, we were all over the place for a while. I know everybody's like remote and spread out. I mean, I know like every band's obviously like, it's inevitable that people are going to move away from each other and obviously they figure it out, but like, there is something to being in the same area when it comes to like, you know, like making music or, or practicing. Yeah, it's great. We get together once a week at least um, just to jam or just do things that need to get done around our new studio and um, it's it, yeah well you know it's inevitable that maybe bands members move away or go to different cities but it, it doesn't I, I don't know that it always happens the other way around where everybody moves back to the same. <laughs> I don't know that I've ever heard of that before. So you def- definitely have something, something special. The, you know, in, in terms of whittling it down to, to, to 10 songs um, and, and when keeping it really, when keeping the record tight is, is an important part of the, of the vetting process, like from very like, pragmatic practical record of like fitting it on one desk but still the final song is i mean there there is a nine minute long song 
on there, which leads yeah. me to believe that that was something that you just really wanted on the record. That was like everybody wanted it on, and and we just we didn't know we didn't know that it could belong anywhere else except the last track on the album. I mean, we, there was briefly talk about making it the opening track, but that was, <laughs> I don't know that that would have been the right move. Um, so that's kind of, that was our starting point really was like, this is going to be the last song. This is number 10. What are the other nine? You know? And we had like a spreadsheet with like the running times of all the songs to <laughs> try to keep the time balanced on each side the best we could. Cause a nine-minute song is obviously going to throw things off. You're sacrificing two songs, like in a sense. There, it, you know, it's it's taking up the spot of two songs on the yeah. album. What what was so special that that was really the only one that you knew definitely needed to go on the record? I mean, I, I really, I, I was really happy with just the performance of it and the things, the production that Dave brought to it. And the fact that it's, it's just it, that nine minutes could go by without you realizing it, I guess, was, I just thought that was kind of a cool uh, hallucination, <laughs> you know? It's funny to, to look at it the way the subject matter is, is pretty heavy. Sure, yeah. Um, it's just, I mean... It's really a song about clinical depression. But, uh, they, I mean, everybody gets depressed once in a while. It's kind of universal uh, subject matter. <laughs> so, I've dealt with both kinds of depression. I, I think, I don't know, I, I could be wrong. I think clinical depression is maybe a little bit more of a, of a unique experience, but I don't know, maybe, maybe it is something that is a little easier to talk about because there is a sense in which it is a universal experience. And I think it's easier to sing about <laughs> yeah. for, for me, but, uh, yeah, I think, um, it's pretty popular to air out all your feelings nowadays if you're an artist or something, but I, I like to keep my personal life personal. Easier to sing about because, because you don't have to, I guess, be specific about it. Yeah, it doesn't have to all quite be so literal, or uh, you could do it in a way that's um, cathartic, and just, I don't know, it's, it's more interesting to me to hear somebody sing a song or watch a performance of a song than it is to listen to somebody talk about how depressed they are. Yeah. <laughs> is it a topic that you've approached or I guess at least is it a topic that you've kind of approached in this direct way before? Uh, no, I, I, this, this is a pretty direct song. I mean, I, I tried to use as few words as possible. You know, I, I'm not trying to mask what it's about uh 
so yeah, I guess in a way it's that is kind of new. This is something that like I've gotten more comfortable talking about myself, you know, in, in terms of like what I've dealt with. And, and I think a big part of it is because of, because of what happened over the last three years. Like, I think, you know, like for me personally, like I was for, for personal reasons, I was very like hesitant to, to do like therapy at all. And then like, I think a lot of people just got to, to breaking point. It's, it's a lot easier, not easier yeah, I mean, I guess it's easier to ignore depression in that way when when you're distracted or when there's a lot of other things going on. And then all of a sudden, like, we have three years and we're kind of, I mean, obviously you've got your family, um, you know, some people in the area, but like, we're kind of like, kind of alone with our thoughts for three years. And it became impossible for people to really, to avoid. That's why I'm glad I hit my breaking point couple years before the pandemic <laughs> but no, it's I mean if that's something you recognize in yourself and you're able to uh, figure it out I mean that's that's the best I mean the decision to, to sort of tackle it in, in a direct way on record was not was wasn't influenced by the last three years no I actually I finished writing the lyrics like in like February of 2020, so. <laughs> For you, what role does music play in that? I and mean, obviously, there's a sense in which, like this song specifically, you know, you mentioned the word catharsis. Is is music something that you've generally used as a tool to help you through those moments? Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, music's been kind of my the the biggest driving force in my life uh, since I was probably since before I could walk, you know, I mean it's just I don't know, it's kind of everything your close friendships, you know you, you married a musician, which I assume is is useful as far as like being able to kind of like contextualize and, and sort of like explain Somebody who like understands what you like, somebody who like innately understands what you do for a living, it, yeah. it makes your life that much easier. It does. It does help. Uh, but yeah, it's kind of funny. When my wife and I met, we were both kind of in the same boat. Like, oh, I'm never going to date another fucking musician ever again, and then I'll marry one instead. <laughs> I guess you were technically correct. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Ten year anniversary this year, so it's it's working out. Congratulations! And I noticed you played guitar on 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 her last record, and I know like you performed together over the years too. It sounds like playing together has been, uh, I guess, an important part of keeping that relationship going. Yeah, it's um, you know I'm always happy to you know, help out and go play with Vanessa whenever she needs a guitar player. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's just really lovely to have somebody to bounce ideas off of and, uh, you know, 
both ways. I know one of the songs in the record is written on accordion, and you mentioned that at a certain point, like you became. It sounds like you became the go-to accordion guy. Like at what point? At what point did that happen? <laughs> I, I think I went to like Sam Ash or something in Nashville to, just to buy some guitar strings, and I saw a little accordion for sale, and I've always really loved the accordion. Um, it's actually a great band from Providence that was led by an accordionist, uh, Alec K. Redford and the Eyesores. They were like my favorite band in town uh, when I was when I was in high school and stuff. I mean, they still are. Uh, they still are probably the best band in town. Uh, I really love that band. <laughs> but so I get home, I start fooling around with it, and like. By the end of the day, I've figured out a little bit of what to do, but then I, like, man, this is so small. This is such a hard thing to play. So I realized I had bought, it's called a ladies accordion, which is for, uh, like children and and people with small fingers. So that explained that. So then I went looking for a full size, uh, piano accordion and found one at a pawn shop and, yeah, I don't know. I just, I love the sound, and uh, it's just a fun thing to to play. It was a challenge. Uh, but yeah, once some, once everybody learns that you play accordion, uh, hey, you play on my record. It's interesting that you kind of, that you're able to pick it up that quickly, because like, I, like, and again, like, I'm very much not a musician, but like, it's always looked to me... It, I, I've always been intimidated by it. It just, it looks like a really complicated instrument. I'm still intimidated by it when I'm like, Oh, I got to play accordion on this. Damn it. Like I've pretty, I've vowed to just, I'm never going to try to do it live. I, I, <laughs> that's my skill level is uh, studio only. You say that now, but I guarantee at some point you're going to be on stage <laughs> playing the accordion. I'll see. 